0: It's the very fact that Jesus paid it all that I'd like to speak to you this evening or this morning about. And if I do, I'd like for you to open with me, if you have your Bibles, to the first epistle of Peter, chapter 2. First Peter, chapter 2. Now, I'm aware, maybe should have been a little more aware, that your pastor, our pastor, uses the overhead, and I never gave The Scripture on the overhead, so I will read it if you will listen carefully if you don't have your Bible. So would you stand with me as I read from 1 Peter chapter 2, I'd like to read the last five verses of the chapter, beginning with verse 21. For even hereunto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that we should follow his steps. Who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth, who when he was reviled, he reviled not again, when he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously, who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, being dead to sin, should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes ye were healed, for ye were as a sheep going astray, and are now returned unto the shepherd and bishop of your souls. Shall we pray? Our Father, we ask that you would arrest our attention on your Word, for it's through your Word you speak to us. And may we not only read the Word, but may we allow the Word to read us. Speak through your ministering spirit. Thank you for the tremendous price you paid for our redemption. We love you today, and we honor you, and we ask that you would minister to these who have come not to hear a mortal man, but they've come to hear from your holy hill. And we will praise you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. When our pastor asked me if I would be willing to come and have a one-day holiness revival, I thought I'd like, if I could, to maximize the time that we're together in these Two short services, actually, and I began to seek the mind of Christ as to what I should focus in on, and I think I have found His mind. and I like to speak on the central purpose person of this Bible and the supreme sacrifice of Calvary, Christ and the cross. And I like for us to consider our relationship to both the person Christ and His cross. I normally don't give the title of my message. I have them for my own cataloging purpose, but I think I will this morning because I think it speaks very loudly to what I want us to realize in this message. If I were to title it, I would just say simply keeping in step with the Savior because my prayer is that if we keep in step with the Savior, it will lead us back to Calvary where everything converges. It was through the life and the death and the resurrection of our Lord that he made provisions for us to live victorious in this life and to be triumphant in the life to come. And for this to be a reality, he admonishes us that we should walk in the light as he is in the light and the blood of his son, Jesus Christ, will cleanse us from all sin and we will enjoy sweet fellowship together. So we must keep in step with him who is literally our file leader. Now, there are two prominent facts in these verses that I want to lift and speak to each one of them in this whole concept of Christ and the cross. First of all, I want you to note that he speaks of Jesus as the divinely sent propitiation. Now, I realize that word is not a common word that we use, but I'll define it in just a moment. But secondly, you will notice he is also our God-given pattern. In verse 21, he speaks of the fact that he is our example through his suffering, and he has left us an example to follow him. The propitiation is spoken to us about in verse 24. So let me, first of all, talk about Jesus, the the, uh, divinely sent propitiation. That word propitiation is used seldom even in the Bible, never outside theological study. It simply means appeasement. He is our appeasement. You say, what did he have to appease? Well, all of us, because of sin, have been living under the pending wrath of God. And in verse 24, you notice it said, He bore our sins in his own body on the tree. And therefore, because of that, he is our mercy seat. And he appeased the wrath of God so much so that he suffered the wrath of God on our behalf. So when you talk about him being the propitiation, you realize he is the one that appeased the wrath of God so that we could find life and live not only now, but live eternally. In fact, John tells us in the second chapter of the first epistle, he's the appeasement for our sins and not for ours only, but the sins of the whole world. So consequently, the greatest need of our dying world is the Christ life. But the greatest need of our church is Christ's likeness. Now, the Christ's life obviously is received by faith. Through faith, we open our heart and welcome Jesus in. We repent and turn from the wicked way, and he receives us. We become his children, he becomes our God. And we start on this journey walking with him. However, Christ's likeness, while life is appropriated by faith, likeness is approximated by our daily walk and faithfulness with him it's one thing to have faith it's altogether something else to be faithful and he is admonishing us to be faithful now while on the earth Jesus was a revelation of the father you remember at the latter 14th chapter of the gospel of John as he was coming to the end of his life before he went to the cross and Philip one of his disciples looked at him and said Jesus Show us the Father, and it will satisfy us. Jesus, now I'm sure very weary, after three and a half years of ministering to those disciples, looked to Philip and said, Philip, have I been with you so long? Don't you understand? When you see me, you've seen the Father. I like what uh, one man said, when Jesus came into the world, he put a face on God. He is God. But he was not only the revelation of the Father, he's the interpretation of spirit-filled man. In other words, he showed us as he walked on this earth how a man could live who is wholly possessed of the Holy Spirit. So he's God's perfect man and man's perfect God. He capsulized both of them as he walked in this world. Now Jesus' earthly ministry began following the baptism at the River Jordan at the hands of John the Baptist. And you remember the Spirit descended on him from heaven in the form of a dove, and it said it remained or abode upon him. His earthly life from that moment on was the life lived in the power of the Holy Spirit. I want you to note how inseparable and vital the Holy Spirit was in the life of Christ. Obviously, he was first of all conceived in the womb of the Virgin Mary by the Holy Spirit. You noticed here he was, it was the Holy Spirit that descended upon him in the form of a dove at his baptism. Following his baptism, you remember, it was the Spirit that led him into the wilderness. Following his temptation in the wilderness, he brought come back forth out of the wilderness and the power of the Spirit back to Galilee. In the synagogue, he declared to those he was speaking to that the Spirit had anointed him, to preach the word and it was through the Holy Spirit he was able to offer himself as the sacrificial lamb on the cross of Calvary and it was also the Holy Spirit that raised him from the dead now you get a sense that he was totally dependent on the Spirit of God now if that was true in the life of Christ how much more so must it be true in your life and mine we must be fully filled and fully possessed of the Holy Spirit Remember, the gospels were written following Pentecost. And of course, Pentecost following that, the idea of the Holy Spirit was very prominent in the life of the church. And so Jesus, before he went to the cross, looked at his disciples and he said to them, it's expedient for you that I go away. He said, if I go not away, the comforter can't come to you. But he said, if I go away, I'll send him unto you. I'm not going to leave you orphans. And he said, when he has come, he will guide you into all truth. Literally translated, he will guide you into truth, all of it. He said, he'll not even speak of himself. He'll take the things of me and he'll show it unto you. The Holy Spirit would be to them and is to you and I today. All that Jesus had been to them while he walked with them on the earth. Only now with the Holy Spirit, he's not restricted by time or space or location or, or anything, we have the Holy Spirit. You have him when you go, I have him where I go, and everywhere he, we want him, he is there. I think that's important because you see, the Holy Spirit is none other than the Spirit of Christ. Consequently, he's the dynamic that gives to us and produces the Christ life within us, but also enables man to live Christ like without so he is within to live without. We use the word holiness and it's a very uh, broad comprehensive term uh, oftentimes and I think sometimes we sort of segment it too much and we capsulize it more than it should be. The Holy Spirit begins the moment one is born again. In fact, Even though one is born again, it isn't long. He soon discovers there is a corrupted self-love remaining. It's called by many names in the Bible. In fact, this is why Jesus primarily died. It's carnality indeed. It's enmity. It hates God. It's hostile to God. It's not subordinate to the law of God. Even though we are Christians, even though we're born again, this corrupted self-love still remains in the heart. See, when man sinned, it caused him to curve into himself, and this perversion came about as a result of the fall in the garden, and all of us have been afflicted by that perversion. It's the remaining corrupt love that hinders us from loving God with all of our heart and all of our soul and all of our mind and hinders our being able to be pleasing to Jesus. By the way, it's very important that we be pleasing to Christ. In fact, he over and again said, I do always those things that please the Father. It was the Father who said, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. It says in 11th chapter of Hebrews, verse 6, he that comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a reward of them that diligently seek him. For without faith, it's impossible to please God. So the measure of our faith in him is the measure of his pleasure in us. And he is calling us to be pleasing to him. Now, the desire to please Christ arises out of our relationship to him. This desire is initiated the moment one is born again. I found that to be true. And I must say one who is truly born again. I have a difficult time when I see going through a mere process at an altar and then never seemingly change in our walk with God and our love for Jesus and our concern for souls and our desire to know more about the Christ we say we love. As any baby that's born in the world physically, immediately, that baby cries out for food. It needs to eat, it needs to grow, and he cannot grow without drink and, and food. That's not only true physically, that's true spiritually. When one is born again, all of a sudden there's a hunger For holiness and righteousness, blessed are they that hunger and thirst for righteousness, Jesus says, they shall be filled. Now in order for that to continue, we must keep in step with the Spirit. And if we keep in step with the Spirit, it will eventually come to the realization and we will be awakened to a painful acknowledgement that there still remains something within our heart that is displeasing to him and is a deterrent to our fellowship with him. I recall four weeks after being converted, that realization came to my own heart, and I had to come the second time, as the hymn writer wrote, for cleansing from the inbred sin, to have that which deterred fellowship and hindered my walk with him so that I could be cleansed through and through. In fact, I believe that's acknowledgment is all that's going to generate conviction for deliverance sometimes we do everything we can to get people to go on and be sanctified if you love him and you find something remaining in you after you've already received his mercies and sin forgiven that is displeasing to him you don't stand back and think that's normalcy you come to find deliverance from that which is hindering your walk with god and your relationship with him christianity is not a mere religion It's not a ritual, it's a relationship. It's not a somewhat, it is a someone. It's a relationship between people. In fact, the reason holiness is so imperative is because holiness is the only standard with which he can fellowship with you and me. I can assure you, darkness cannot fellowship with light and love will not tolerate hate and holiness will not support sin. And rebellion will not be tolerated by his sovereignty. Therefore, there must be a standard by which he is pleased to fellowship with you and I. And that is, as he which has called you is holy, so be ye holy. Let me just take a little closer view. When you talk about these two loves, self-love and Christ-love, they cannot exist side by side because you see each by nature are exclusive when Paul after his conversion on the road to Damascus he came to a point in time when he had to experience a crucifixion within himself you understand the new birth is not death the new birth is life and yet there was something remaining in Paul that had to die and Paul cries out in Galatians 2 I am crucified with Christ Nevertheless, I live. That I am crucified, as he's talking about, is this corrupt self love. It's not the self consciousness, obviously, because Paul was a great minister of the gospel thereafter, wrote 13 epistles in the New Testament. But there came a crisis moment where this self love, this ego, if you please, had to die. So we must be crucified with him. And when the cross is internalized this corrupt self-love dies the old hymn writer wrote years ago must jesus bear the cross alone and all the world go free it's nice to talk about jesus dying no he said there's a cross for everyone and there's a cross for me and we don't like to talk too much about dying you see the center of gravity when we experience this crucifixion shifts from a self-centeredness to a Christ-centeredness, a circle cannot have two centers; it can only have one. Otherwise, it becomes an ellipse. That's why James says, "Cleanse your hands, sinners; purify your hearts, ye double-minded." And therefore, we no longer are double-minded; we become single-minded. We love Him with all of our heart, all of our soul, and so the Spirit of Christ comes in the new birth. With the express purpose to gain our consent and our cooperation for Him to purify our hearts from this corrupt self. And it's only then that He can truly live in us and love through us. And when Christ is enthroned, it enables us to translate the Spirit of Christ into a recognizable pattern of Christian behavior. Jesus said in John 14, Speaking of this relationship, holiness being a relationship, if you love me, keep my commandments. Did you notice the link was love? The link between you and me is love. If you love me, keep my commandments. That's why he is the propitiation for our sins, not for ours only, but the sins of the whole world. But I want you to note he's the divinely given pattern. In other words, Jesus suffered for us, leaving us an example. I'm trying to wrestle whether I I want to deal more with this tonight, but there's something to be said about this suffering. There's an interesting occurrence that's hard to convey, but I'll try to be very delicate. Years ago, there was a man by the name of George Fox. George Fox was the founder of the Quaker religion. George Fox was a godly man. But after he started serving God, he said in his own testimony, he still found something within him that wouldn't be patient or tender and kind. He went into the cemetery, got down on his face before a tombstone, and he begged God to deliver him. And said, God came and cleansed that from him, entered inside and shut the door. And George Fox became a powerful man of God so much so that he was a tremendous conviction to Oliver Cromwell. Oliver Cromwell in England, of course, was the Lord Protector of England. So much did he convict him that Oliver Cromwell decided to put him in a dungeon. 1656, they placed George Fox in Doomsdale's dungeon. Here's what I need to be delegate, but it was a deep, dark, stinking cesspool where the prisoners' excrement, urine, and garbage had been dumped in for months, and George Fox was placed in that cesspool that rose as high as his ankles, unable to eat, unable to drink, obviously could not lay down to rest, could not sleep, held himself up against the wall, and for days he was in that cesspool. One day, A man who loved George Fox came to Oliver Cromwell and said, I'd like to volunteer to take George Fox's place. Oliver Cromwell was absolutely stunned that any man would stoop to that, willing and loved a man so much he would take his place in a cesspool like that. So much so, Cromwell turned and looked at his council of men and said, which of you would ever do that for me? And they turned aside. 2,000 years ago, Jesus left the glories of heaven and he descended into the sinful, wasted cesspool of a world and identified himself with me and with you and went to die on Calvary's cross for each of us. The difference is, folks, the man who wanted to substitute Fox was his friend But Jesus died while we were yet enemies to the cross. The just for the unjust, the righteous for the unrighteous. To Jesus, holy love is not merely giving love, which is a gift from the giver. Holy love is giving self, which is the gift of the giver. In other words, sometimes we go through our religious rituals we we give our substance we give some sacrifice we give some service that's not what jesus wants he wants ourself i think about all these young people as all of us who have married there's a time when we love our our date and we give them our courtesies and cards and candies and that suffices for a time but there comes a time when she doesn't want your candy Or he doesn't want your cards. He wants you. And I'm afraid too many times we're guilty of giving Jesus a few paltry things of our lives. That's not love. Until he said, present your body a living sacrifice. Wholly acceptable unto God. You know, this hallowed relationship, I think, deepens the concept of holiness. Holiness. It's a relationship so rich and so full that other relationships, no matter how legitimate, are never even considered a sacrifice. Once you get a glimpse of the beauty of holiness and its enduring love and all of its purity, if you do not follow hard after holiness of heart and life, you will forever be dissatisfied, for you have come to get a glimpse of what might be Once you have seen, you can never unsee. I know that. Let me explain. Let me be practical in the last few moments. Most of us, at least myself, live in the realm of the mundane. Most of us live an ordinary routine in life. We are not always aware as we keep in step with Jesus, as we walk in the light, We are not always aware when or where or how God is using us. More times than not, as you walk with him, you won't be aware. It's not necessary, by the way, that you be aware. In fact, I remember Dr. Willingham years ago. He was the president of the old Olivet College, and he was very provocative, and he made statements that shook you clear to your boots, and you have to be very careful, I suppose. But he made the statement, he said, I always worry when people said, I prayed and God did such and such. I prayed and God did such and such. He said, first of all, how do you know it was only your prayers? How do you know it when the conglomeration of prayers? And he said, secondly, it's incidental because he deserves the glory. Don't try to share the glory with him. I thought about that many times. It's almost as though we want to have some sanction with what we've done. Let me say it again. More times than not, as you walk with Jesus, you'll not even be aware that he's using you. And By the way, I think that should be comforting to you. Too many try to be religious. You don't have to try to be religious. Just, as Vance Hafner said, just be Christian. (laughs) That's a novelty idea, don't you think? In fact, we're just to be usable vessels already vehicles through which he communicates. We are the channels through which the rivers of living water flow and the living waters being the Holy Spirit. For example, when a heart filled with divine love touches a world of hate, when joy is expressed in a world of grief and sorrow, and when peace is evidenced in an environment of strife and anger and turmoil or patience and long suffering in a world of addiction, your witness will be clear and your message will be relevant and God will be honored. I say that because I know by experience. I'm not going to rehearse my experience. I relive it almost on a daily basis. I'll never forget on that cold February day. I can tell you it was in the midst of tragedy, grief, and death, heartache, as I watched a little girl die under the wheels of my father's automobile and didn't know God. And God finally sent a people to our home. They didn't talk religion. They just showed me Christ. In fact, I doubt that anyone other than God and myself even knew that I was in the room. But when they came and they said their final prayer and left, I want you to know I recognize that the spirit of another world had invaded my domain, and I have not been the same for 60 years. Did they know anything about what they were doing? No. Did they have any idea of the impact it made on my heart and my life? No. But they did. And it's not important that they knew. It's important that He knew. I doubt that I ever knew much that goes on in the lives of people that I minister to. I learned a long time ago I'm not gonna go around counting heads at an altar or charting miracles that happen. That's incidental. I'll leave it to God, and you're not going to know the full impact of your life till you get to heaven in the first place. By this shall all men know you're my disciples, because you have love one for another. In this way, the world will see Jesus. You see, the world doesn't see Christ crowned within, they see the Christian conduct without. They don't know what we believe. They don't know the theology that we study. They don't know any of that. They're not interested in that. But they want to see Jesus. I can't tell you that strongly enough. And the Holy Spirit is that person that comes, who becomes the inner dynamic in your heart that makes Jesus real to a dying and a hurting world. Whatever else holiness is, it's Christ-likeness simple isn't it Christ likeness why he's our divine pattern he suffered to leave us an example one of the things I like about studying Christ there is a naturalness about Christ nothing forced nothing phony I I abhor pretense and phony I absolutely abhor in fact I have to pray for myself But Jesus is not only infinite sanctity, folks. He's infinite sanity because he is the most balanced figure that ever walked across the pages of human history. And I've never been ashamed of him. And I'm glad to testify to him. Ours is to keep in step because if we walk in the light as he is in the light, he orders our steps. Aren't you glad he does? I don't want anybody else doing it. I want Jesus to do that. John makes a statement in his epistle As he is in this world, so are we. Who? Did you hear that? I didn't say it. John did. As he is in this world, so are you. I don't think there's a stronger statement in the Bible that speaks louder of our union and our identification with God. Can you say that? In fact, uh, When we are as he is, we not only have the approval of God and we not only have the pleasure of his son, we are a welcome witness to a dying world. Let me close in sharing this. I love to read history, maybe more so than I should. But I remember reading an incident of a man by the name of General Chang. General Chang was a ruthless general in the Red Chinese Army. He was guilty of thousands murdered. One day in the midst of a war, he literally destroyed an entire city. Over 100 Christians died. A hospital that was 30 years in the making was blown up, patients, doctors, everything except for one missionary doctor. When the dust cleared away, they took the missionary doctor captive. And finally, the missionary doctor said, I'd love to have audience with General Chang. Finally, they came in and they looked at General Chang and said, General, that foreign devil wants to speak to you. So bring him in. Man walked in in his own humble, godly fashion, looked at the general and he said, "Uh, I want to ask a favor of you. General looked at him and said, I probably won't abide by it, but go ahead and ask. He said, May I have the privilege of tending to your sick and wounded men and women? He said, You see, I have no other work to do. Could I serve you? He said, General Chang could not get over it. He couldn't believe that came out of his mouth. In fact, it said he went to his wife, who, by the way, and I don't think it was his first wife, she she was a Methodist. And he looked at his wife and said, Honey, an amazing thing happened today. A missionary doctor came to me. He called him the foreign devil came to me, who was a doctor in the hospital I destroyed. And he asked if he could serve the healing of my own people. She looked at him and said, Amazing? I said, that's not amazing. That's simply a man acting out his faith. And he said, if that is that foreign devil's religion, I too will become a Christian. General Chang became Chang Gai Chek, who was an ally to the Western world who assisted us greatly in the defeat of the Japanese during the Second World War. Just being a Christian. Just keeping in step with Jesus. You think he prayed all night? No, he was always up to date. He just walked with God. I want to ask you, are you walking with him? I ask him, um, Amy, I'm going to ask her to come now. She said, make sure it's not done subtly. So this is not subtle, Amy. If she would lead us in a hymn. She said, not very many people know the hymn. Well, I'm going to find out. And the hymn is lead me to Calvary. King of my life, I crown thee now. Thine shall the glory be. Lest I forget thy thorn-crowned brow. Lead me to Calvary. May I be willing, Lord, to bear daily my cross for thee. Even thy cup of grief to share. Thou hast borne all for me. Lest I forget Gethsemane. Lest I forget thine agony. Lest I forget thy love for me. Lead me to Calvary. We're going to sing the first and last verse. In a moment, I'm going to ask you to stand with me withstand and i want to ask you to do me a favor sometimes we need to reconfirm yes Jesus I want to keep in step with you take me back to Calvary if there's any one place I visit more than anywhere else in this Bible it's the foot of the cross take me back to Calvary let me see what you've done for me I won't have to be compelled to serve you. I'll serve you with gladness and with joy. And I'd like if you would, as we sing these two verses, to come and stand across the front. Those of you who say, I want to reconfirm. Yes, I'm going to walk in the light and keep step with you, Jesus. Because one of these days, folks, we're going to triumph in that grand city. I don't want to miss it, neither do you. And I've asked our pastor, prayer pastor Bob, to pray for us when we close these two verses. So if you would just come as we sing, let's mind God today. Would you? You just move out right now. As we sing. King of my life. King of my life. I, I crown, thee crown thee now. now. Thine, Thine shall the glory be glory. Be. Yes, lest I forget. I Pastor Bob leads us. Pray your own prayer. Speak it from your heart. Lest I forget, Lord. Lead me to Calvary. Pastor
1: Bob. Thank you, Lord, for dying my death. If you hadn't died for me, you'd still be alive. Said you died my death I want to live your life Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. it was in Gethsemane that you prayed not my will but yours Lord may that be our prayer this morning what we want what we think is important so insignificant compared to what you know is important we want to be used father even without our knowing it so here we stand in your presence like samuel of old saying lord i'm i'm listening you say I'll do, wherever you send I'll go, let me be your hands extended, let me be your ears to listen, let me be you in a world that wants to see you, that wants to see the genuineness of love. I believe you've heard us pray. And we're not asking you to do something that you don't want to do. So accept our our commitment to you because, Lord, there's no way that we're going to experience the goals that you have set before us through pastor that It's it's such a wonderful thing to to think about. But to be part of, we're going to have to die to what our goals and our interests are. And seek first your kingdom and your righteousness. So bless us, Lord, as we go our way. may we walk and step with you through the presence of your abiding Holy Spirit and we believe that as you live your life in us and through us we have no idea what you're going to do through the Marysville Church of the Nazarene and it'll all be you give you the glory not just now but for eternity through the power of your spirit in the name of Jesus your son amen amen are dismissed